This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Well, I feel like this new research has actually been conducted in my front yard. Warwick Long, welcome back to the Conversation Hour. Did you actually know that, and the fact is you probably do know this, but (laughs) Australia has more than 2,700 weeds, making up about 12% of our flora, which makes us have a higher proportion of weeds than any other continent. Let me put it this way. There is a new weed that is discovered every 18 days. That doesn't surprise me. And actually looking at my front yard, Rochelle, I think that number's probably a little bit low. It's more than 12% of the flora in my yard. But a lot of these numbers have been looked at in a report by the CSIRO. It's called Fighting Plagues and Predators, Australia's Path to a Pest and Weed-Free Future. It's just been released this week and it details that weeds are transforming Australia's landscapes, affecting and reducing our native plants, increasing fuel loads for bushfires and and you'll know it if you've seen it, choking our waterways. Mm. The other thing is, too, is that weeds are really expensive. Although I had to get rid of some weeds in my front yard with vinegar and it cost me hardly anything, you know, a dollar for a huge couple of litres of really strong vinegar. But public authorities claim that they spend around $300 million a year controlling weeds. It's huge from from agriculture to uh, yeah public authorities to councils and so forth. You you see weed control on a daily basis, but you probably don't think about it, and you probably don't think it's worth that much. Also in that report, Rochelle, uh, it claims our environment. You might have heard this on the news this week. Is facing a sliding doors moment. Two possible futures for Australia, depending on decisions made today. So today we'll look at what can be done. So how much do you know about weeds? Some of them actually look quite pretty and Warwick, I've been known to cut some and pop them in a vase (laughs) to the absolute disgust of many people that know more than me. But do you know what to look for, what they look like and how to remove them safely as well? Just on that too. Rochelle, with not knowing what they are and putting them in a vase. One day I spent a whole day out reporting on this cactus weed. Just stories upon stories with ABC Rural. We drove to the pub for lunch with a guy who's been showing me everything and the pub had on display at the front in their country area a display of the weed that was the cactus in pot plants at the front of the pub. So it happens all the time. Today, though, we want to know what impact are weeds not only having on your own backyard and parks, but to farmlands and habitats. What are weeds doing to your life? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Weeds, what impact are they having from your backyards, out the front of pubs, not knowing whether they're a weed or not, but through to our farmlands, to our habitats and to our waterways as well. Warwick Long's with you today and was a a big report, and it's actually quite a confronting report, has just been released by the CSIRO. Yeah, it has huge numbers in it, no matter which way you look, and that can be Sometimes hard to talk about, particularly on the radio, but also hard to comprehend in your life. But it just shows you the huge impact Mm. weeds and pests are having on our way. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars over a generation from the 1960s through uh, to, well, earlier this century, 2017, I think it goes through. The person who can tell us more, Mm. though, is Dr Andy Shepard, the CSIRO Research Director for Biosecurity. Welcome to The Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle and uh, Warwick. Yeah, great to be here. Andy, do most people think about weeds as being problematic? When we talk about, you know, fighting plagues and predators to uh, our future, we often think about animals. I mean, how important is it for us to look at weeds when it comes to our biosecurity and to look at the future of our habitat? Well, look, the challenge is most people don't see weeds when they look at the landscape. You know, again, if you don't know it's a weed, uh, and it seems to be doing fine. You, you know, there's often it's often assumed to be a native, and so it's a perception issue. Whereas if you see a feral fox or a feral cat, you know, it's, it's definitely not Australian, right? So that's part of the challenge: is public perception. And that's an interesting point you raise. So it's hard for the people wanting to control weeds to find them in the first place sometimes, or find when the particularly bad patches are. And the rest of us are going past our daily lives you might be on the train going past a particularly bad spot or in the car or walking not even knowing that 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 particular plant is particularly bad for the australian environment 
Yeah, that's why we've got a wheel. Uh, we've got a tool for you. We're actually developing a phone app that will allow you to uh -huh. take a photograph of any plant that you might think might be a weed, and, and using artificial intelligence and a huge uh, data bank of images, the phone app will be able to tell you with reasonable level of probability what you're looking at. And that really is a great tool for helping people understand what's in the, their environment and also taking an active role in their management. When we look through some of the, the numbers of how quickly new weeds and new weed species are coming into our landscape, it's quite confronting, you know, a new weed every 18 days. And this is not just the same weed popping up every 18 days. This is a, a new type of weed. When did it, I guess, when did it accelerate to this kind of rate, Andy? Well, look, if you, if you look at the history of introduced plants, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, about two-thirds of them came in as ornamentals. So the reason they were brought in was that they were pretty. People wanted to grow them in their gardens. And they got planted in botanical gardens, and, uh, and they've been distributed, many of them had been distributed by the nursery industry. The challenge is that, um, you know, you've got to be able to, 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 to stop the flow. And, and most of all, when you, when you talk about a new weed being discovered every 18 days, these, these are plants that are already in the country. That are, that are slowly becoming weedy as they, as they find a spot in, 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 uh, where, they, where they can do well. And so most of our future weeds are actually already here. This isn't new species arriving through our borders. There's an interesting text here, and you hear it all the time, so I'd like you to address it if you can. Weed is an arbitrary designation. Mm -hmm. One man's weed is another man's rose. Can we be as simple as, as saying that when we're talking about the impact on the environment? Look, absolutely. It's it's a human. Co the whole con a weed is a human concept, and therefore everybody has their own view on what is a weed and what isn't a weed. But we can measure their impacts, and if their impacts are significant on our, our, our flora and fauna, given that we value our flora and fauna, then we can we have a quantitative way of defining what, how harmful they are, and therefore uh, the amount of effort we need to put into trying to remove them. We'll go through some of the questions that are coming up to sort of get you to almost define what a weed is and how localised they are in just a moment. Dr Andy Shepherd is with you, the CSIRO Research Director for Biosecurity. The latest report, Fighting Plagues and Predators, Australia's Path to a Pest and Weed-Free Future, has just been released. But Sue's called in. Sue, where are you? I'm, I'm out of Deering Hat, which is on the other side of Geelong. Okay, and what was your question, or what was your point? Um, we we live on a farm, and we're um, constantly uh, spraying um, Chilean needlegrass. Uh, we back onto a highway, and uh, Vic roads don't seem to control it. But um, all these seeds blow into our place, and we are always spraying for Chilean needlegrass. Um, we've got neighbours all around us that um, don't understand what it is. So they just let it grow. Serrated tussock is another one that is um, um, seeds just fly everywhere, mm. thousands of seeds from one tussock. And we're con uh, always spraying for serrated tussock. Uh, we keep it under control. Our neighbours don't. So therefore, we, we're always getting the seeds in our place. So we're, we're spending thousands every year. And can you give us the place. idea of how much, yeah, that the money and the effort and the hours that you're putting in every year to, to try and control these weeds? Well, we're only on a small farm, so um, we don't... It's just weekends. We're doing it all the time. So we're always constantly filling up and buying... Uh, I won't tell you what the um, name of it is, but um, buying uh, pest control to... And you have to have special pest control for Chilean needlegrass. You have to have special um, pest control for thistles. Uh, and you can just Gosh, use... it's all specific, isn't it? One. Yeah, and they're not cheap. You're in thousands of dollars um, for litres and litres of this. And so we a little our, later our... in the program, we're actually going to be speaking to some people from the Tussock Working Group, so they might even be able to help you a little bit there. But, I mean, I've almost lost track of the different types of weeds that Sue has rattled off there. But, Dr Andy Shepherd, Sue raises a really good point in terms of what you're using to, con to control weeds. And this is quite contentious. You know, we're learning a lot about what's poison what's not, what's good for the environment, what's not. But at the same time, uh, farmers and, and those with large parcels of land need to uh, protect what it is that they're growing. Where are we at when it comes to the types of poisons that we are or aren't using? So, so there are obviously the, there are a number of registered herbicides that are available for use to manage weeds, but each of those herbicides is registered for particular use. So there are herbicides registered for serrated tussocks and Chilean needlegrass, 
and you have to use them in the context of the registration. So that, so it is very complicated for individual landowners to understand exactly how they how they can use and what they can use on their properties. And as a result of that, there's a, a lot of what we call off-label usage, where people are actually just doing what they can. But I think what your caller illustrates is there's a huge amount of community effort going into trying to manage these weeds locally. And if we could coordinate more that more and get more feeling, more groups in the community working together, you won't, you'll mm. have less of this problem of boundaries where mm. people just have weeds blowing in from their neighbours. Well, we're going to be speaking to quite a, a few of those groups throughout the program. Uh, one of those examples, though, uh, Andy Shepherd, uh, is one of the, 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 I suppose, best-known examples I can think of is Patterson's Curse in Victoria had a lot of control yes. done on it, which is a purpley flower for those playing at home. Called it Salvation. The one I put in a vase was. Yeah, wasn't maybe. It? <laughs> called Salvation Jane in New that. South Wales. So, yes. And <laughs> you'd see paddocks of it in New South Wales just growing yep. and with no control program. And in Victoria, you'd see a lot less of it and it was considered this, this massive problem. Is it really hard to get groups of people whether it be locally, like what we were hearing about earlier, or, or even statewide with that example, to, to get people to control weeds? Well, look, Warwick, to be honest, the Patterson's Curse story is a huge success story nationally because CSIRO, working with the Victorian uh, Ag, AgVic, released a number of biocontrol agents, and they were released all over New South Wales to suppress the amount of Patterson's Curse in the paddocks. And if you look at pictures from a decade or, or, or 20 years ago, there was far more Patterson's Curse than there are now. Every October, we would get calls saying horses are dying. We don't get that anymore. The actual biocontrol has been very effective. Now, the fact that you still see Patterson's Curse is perfectly natural because when you, when you use a biological control agent to control a weed, the weed has to persist in the environment or the biocontrol agent dies out because it only feeds on Patterson's Curse. But there has been a lot of Patterson's Curse recently because we're, because of the, the rainfall yes. and the post-drought. And I know that around Melbourne you've seen a lot of Patterson's Curse, and I'm reliably informed by the guys I know who work in, in Melbourne on, on weeds that the reason that you're seeing a lot of Patterson's Curse around Melbourne at the moment is because of the drought there was a lot of hay movement and the insects have not had a chance to catch mm. up. Gosh, so and given the weather pattern that we're coming into is not going to be great, is it, that we're coming into such yeah. a, a wet and windy weather pattern? There's text here saying, uh, I'm in the garden weeding and listening to your show right now. There are many, many hours of work ahead of me because of the, the rain. Others, like from Sam in Southwest Vic, saying, um, I'm despairing watching the blackberries go through my native plants. I can't spray poison uh, because we also have beehives. So we might get to that in just a tick with you, Andy, but Michael sure. Peck has called in from Wood. And, and Michael, are you actually the president of the Landcare Group as well? Yes, I am. I'm the president of the Ashbourne Landcare Group. I'm, I'm a part-time farmer and um, we are constantly dealing with the problem of gorse in our area. Gorse is a plant that has a bright yellow flower and a lot of people admire it when they see it at the early spring, but it's a terrible prohibited weed. My concern is that the government is relying on community groups to do the bulk of the work and control of this weed and mm. it relies on people being volunteers, mm. being, re receiving no remuneration and that, that is what I call the carrot approach. They are providing grants for this work to be done. But the stick approach, which is um, the fact that this is a legislated prohibited weed, um, is not being enforced by government agencies. In fact, the agencies that are in place to enforce this um, compliance with weed removal by landholders uh, is by security people, and they're terribly under-resourced. In the last two decades, the average number of prosecutions for weed control of this type of weed has been one per annum, one per annum over 20 years. And the average fine has only been $500. So you can see the landholders figure that economically better for Sorry, Michael, we might have just lost you there. But that's a really interesting point, though, to yeah. Rochelle. One of the, I suppose, the interesting places people find themselves, and you hear it a lot in this discussion, is the idea of being a good neighbour. So we've heard from a person living mm. close to suburbia saying, well, the roads and the and the neighbours uh, 
are not helping me control something like Chilean needlegrass. Uh, you'll hear from people today, I'm in no doubt of it, who live close to publicly managed land, where, whether it be national parks or, or major highway roads or so forth, where not enough weed control is being done there and, and the difficulty and the frustrations they have there. And then there's just the, the neighbour to neighbour. You might be in quite similar states but have different opinions on, yeah. on how to control weeds and, and that can lead to a breakdown and more infestations and more work and more frustration and it just goes on and on and on. And what I found interesting is the reliance on community groups. I mean, Andy, would you agree then with Michael in that maybe local governments do rely on the work and the passion of community groups to keep some of these weeds under control? Look, absolutely they do. I mean, you you you, you gave the figure of how much money is spent on controlling weeds by governments. It's phenomenal. And obviously they can't, they can't, they don't have the resources to get everywhere um, and they and to, and and your speaker was absolutely right. There are some weeds that they just have thrown their arms in the air because they're so impossible to to manage that there's no point in having uh, legislation that says people are going to get prosecuted because you'd be prosecuting everyone. Um, and so so it, it it is one of these really hard problems to solve from a bureaucratic point of view. But as I I I, I believe is the community groups do need to take the responsibility and do the best they can, and lobby their lobby their they're um, members of parliament to get good support. And we had a group that we worked with in the Dandenongs around a weed called Wandering Trad, where they did an exceptionally good job and they, they, they lobbied their member of parliament. Uh, it, it led to a national biological control program. We went to Brazil and found the biocontrol agents for that particular weed and we released them onto their land. So again, it's all about community action and community support. Yeah. Just a last question while we have you, Andy, because quite a few people have sent messages in naming various plants saying, oh, it's very easy to buy weeds. I actually buy them from my local nursery. You know, they're disguised as plants. And I think that Harris is called in from the, the Latrobe Valley. Harris, you have a similar question or point to raise, don't you? Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering if ivy has been um, classed as a noxious weed, why do nurseries sell it? Ivy, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's not just ivy. There's quite a few other types of plants, Andy. Are we a bit loose in what we define as a plant and a, a weed and are all nurseries across this? Look, my experience is the nurseries are very cognizant of, of, of plants that are weeds um, and the reputable ones, you know, but obviously they, they're limited in their knowledge, but the reputable ones don't stock weed, weedy, known weedy plants, certainly not noxious weedy plants. In fact, they, it would be illegal if they did. But having said that, there'll be, there, there will be people who'll be uh, selling stuff at market gardens and, uh, and, and, and small, in small communities that, you know, might be thinking well, we can make a buck out of this, but they're actually selling weeds. But uh, my experience is that the actual, at a national level, the nursery industry is very cognizant of this problem and is happy to remove any plant that they're told uh, is, is, now, is now considered to be a threat. What do you hope this report and the, the highlighting of weeds, particularly like what we're doing today, will, yep. uh, will help make us think of or change for the future in Australia? Well, look, we, what, the, the main, the main, uh, one of the main messages of the report was the, the, the community empowerment message, that the community is doing a huge amount, as we've heard from your, from your callers, to uh, to manage these problems in their local areas and there aren't the governments don't have the resources to be able to come over the top and provide those services and what we want to do is empower the community through the like the, the phone app i talked about to be able to identify their problems and work in their regions to be able to come up with management plans that they can then apply through the national land care program or through other programs bush care programs to be able to get the resources they need to be able to manage weeds in in, in the areas that they're responsible mm. for and we know from surveys of those groups that managing weeds is always in the top three of their priorities and just finally people are wanting to know again what's that app called because you i cannot explain to you the interest and the passion that we have on our text line and our phone line when it comes to Look, weeds andy yeah it's still under development it's being developed by the national herbarium uh, you'll find more information on it on the website of the center for invasive species solutions which is which we co-partnered in, in terms of producing this report so if you google center for invasive species solutions weed id app you will find what information is available online. Well, Dr Andy Shepherd, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. No, absolute pleasure.
Thank you. CSIRO Research Director for Biosecurity, Dr Andy Shepherd, there speaking about weeds with us today because that's what we're doing on The Conversation Hour. This text, uh, we have in our area thistles, extremely difficult to control over the past two years. We're seeing a lot of resistance. Timing of spraying and the weather all contribute to this. That's from Sharon. I was actually reading actually one of Angus Verley's uh, stories on, you know, weed resistance and, and herbicide resistance as well, which is something that I didn't know about. So not only are we getting all of these new weeds, that are popping up, they're becoming resistant to what we're doing to them as well. Was it's a that's a huge issue, particularly in agriculture as well, because there's only so many tools you can use to try and grow things on a on a wide scale. And if you've got resistant weeds, all of a sudden you can be in a, a really big problem. And we've mm. got some hotspots in Victoria for resistance, uh, resistant ryegrass, and so forth that can be a real problem. So it's one to keep an eye on. Jack's on the Mornington Peninsula. Hi, Jack. Hi there. I just want to talk about one specific weed in particular. I've got heaps of weeds around my ha- you know, my place. and um, But one specific one that came up after about 20 years, I found out it was called flickweed. Now, most, most of the weeds are pretty benign, but this one's actually quite heinous. And if you touch it, it'll actually flick up and hit you in the eye oh. and get in your eye. I don't know... Uh, You've still got an expert there. That, Our um, next guest might be able to help yeah, you with that, that I think, Jack. <laughs> Stay there. Let's bring in Lizette Mill, uh, who is a Landcare Network facilitator, uh, loves talking about weeds a lot of the time. Uh, Lizette, welcome to the conversation now. <laughs> Good morning. How are you all? Oh, a flickweed. I mean, we've still got Jack in the Mornington Peninsula with us. This sounds like a weed with some kind of vendetta. What do, what do we know about flickweeds? <laughs> I'm busy Googling it right now. <laughs> um, what comes up is a plant that I see around. Um, I don't know. Do you know the scientific name for your flickweed? No, I don't. I do have a friend that actually told me it was flickweed, but she didn't give me the um, scientific name, unfortunately. But it's quite a dainty mm. plant. But um, yeah. very uh, heinous when it when it touches, yes. especially when it's <laughs> ripe to go. It, I'm just wondering, do weeds actually sit there dormant? Because I haven't seen this weed the whole 20 years I've been here, and all of a sudden, and I've noticed it in other parts of the um, peninsula when I've gone walking, say up Arthur's Seat or whatever. Not so much now, but one or two years ago, um, like every time I see it now, I. I pull it out as quick as I can. I go looking for it with a magnifying glass virtually to try and get rid of it. But yeah, That's dedication, isn't it? I'm just visualising that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Jack, that's an interesting point. Lizette, I've seen you talk about this before, that the idea that if you walk past a weed, it might leave seeds behind for an extraordinary long time. Now, gorse is your big passion. Is that a message that you try and share with, with farmers and landholders that have gorse problems? Yeah, usually people who who are aware of the problems that um, gorse can bring and have capacity to do something about it are doing something about it. And gorse is one of those weeds in Australia where the seed bank that it creates is extremely long-lived, much more long-lived than most other weeds we have in the country, um, 50 years or more. So, so you can have if you walk past it, let it go to seed... That seed could live in the soil for 50 years. Correct. Gosh. No wonder they're so, so problematic and hard to yeah, get rid of. It's a, it's a, a thing where land use change and, you know, so you might, um, we've had farmers in this area that have gone from Jersey cows to Holsteins and the property that they've bought appears gorse-free and because they're running a heavier animal, the heaviness of the animal stimulates the long buried gorse seed in the soil profile, roughs it up, likes a bit of rough treatment and up it comes and suddenly they'll have this carpet of gorse where they didn't know they had gorse before and it's decades old. Our listeners, they'll always have the answers for us. So we've had multiple texts now coming in saying flickweed. It's cardamom hersata. Is that does that seem to make sense? Yeah, like to you? Uh, hairy bittercress is its other name and yeah, it's common. Um, it's a common plant. 
When you look through, and I don't know how whether or not you've had much time, Lizette, to, to look through the CSIRO's report, and they claim that we're at a, a sliding door moment in terms of being able to control weeds. I mean, do you agree with that? Are we at a point where we need to look at our biosecurity or we need to look at our habitats, our farmlands? Are we, is it as dramatic as that? Are we at a sliding doors moment? Um, I reckon for myself, and there'll be people listening here, that we've gone past the sliding doors moment already, and there'll be some who are still heading in that direction. It all It's all relative, but from that report, and I have read it, and I have enjoyed it, definitely. <laughs> I do think that there is some pressures coming on Australia, particularly to do with changing climate that are going to mean that some of the weeds that we've got now are going to extend their range into areas they haven't been before. And it means that some of the weeds we've already got are going to go even more feral than they are now because the environments that they wanted have increased. So, yeah, maybe we are at that sliding door moment. But frankly, for me, I've been in that sliding door on the outside of the door for years. (laughs) I want to talk to you about that. You travel around quite a lot. Weeds is your passion. So what do you see when you see the landscape? Are you constantly trying to map where weeds are and tell authorities to control them? Um, I used to I used to do a great line of being the, the phenomenal nag, and I probably still am, but you, it's all good nagging, but you've got to... I got to a point where I was immensely frustrated. I'd be telling... Um, often crown land managers because, you know, you don't know who every farmer is and sometimes it's not appropriate to ring them up and go, oi, what about your course if you haven't got a course program running that you're delivering? Um, I got really frustrated. So we've gone to a, I've gone to a different kind of mode of operation and that is to try and get inside the minds of land managers, often crown land managers, and offer solutions about how we can help them as land care. How can we help them get on top of these problems? And one project we're running here, which is showing success, is with our local council, which is Moyne Shire, and with Regional Roads Victoria, Vic Roads. And that is getting out there, mapping where the gorse is on roadsides, and then timing the control for the optimum time for them to be controlled, and having an auditing program in place so that any that get missed in one year get picked up in the next so they don't get to that cycle of repeat seeding that means that these often very precious roadsides in this area just keep getting reinfected mm. and they just keep going over and over and that's like a sliding door which is more like a you know a tumbola where <laughs> Money gets applied to a weed and it spins around and you get on top of it for a while, but for a very long-lived seed bank like gorse and weeds like blackberry that are spread by birds, it can feel like you're just on this treadmill constantly. And I'm sure just everybody listening to this will be going, you know, that's exactly how we feel. (laughs) Like, what do we do about this treadmill? And I'm sure that's why CSIRO wrote that report. Yeah. Here we are on this treadmill. It's just getting faster. Oh, Lizette, it's been really fascinating speaking with you and, and, you know, just learning about the work that you do and the dedication that you have. Thank you so much for informing people and at least being able to point them in the right direction of where they can uh, inform themselves and they can educate themselves, not only about the work that you do about, but some of the management practices they can put into place. Thanks for your time. No props. If anyone wants to reach out and learn more about that project I talked about, just give us a call, Basalt to Bay Land Care Network. Lizette Mill from the Landcare Network. Thanks so much for your time. We're talking about weeds today. Warwick Long with you as well. My name's Rochelle Hunter on The Conversation Now. Uh, this report was what I'm finding fascinating, right? Is there are people waiting, and we'll get to as many of these calls as we can in a moment, from all different parts of Victoria and so mm. many different weeds and titles and, and names and nicknames, but passion, because once they get in, I think that's the hard thing. It's actually getting rid of them and getting rid of them long term. And that's the hard thing. You can have these passionate groups. And one thing about weeds, Rochelle, is there's working groups and task force for nearly every individual weed in certain areas, but they can only do work where people are really passionate. So they could be really effective at knocking out Blackberry in, say, one area of northeast Victoria, but it could pop up somewhere else in central Victoria, and then it just feeds out until finally another group pops up and tries to control it. And that's what Lizette was talking about there, that the frustration Mm. in trying to constantly be 
battling a weed can really get you down, I think. Ricky's in Geelong. Hey, Ricky. Hey, today. How are you going? I've been listening with interest. Um, a lot of people worried about um, Scott Sissels. Um, I forget the name of the author, but he um, he did a lot of work on Harvey Norman's um, uh, um, property. But he was saying that if there's a sign of uh, that weed, it just means it's deficient in that mineral. And if you just let it go and go and go, eventually that will replace that deficient mineral and therefore can't live there anymore. I'll have to take your word on that. I mean, was you're going to know more about this than me. I mean, this is the thing. I'm the woman that's putting weeds in vases, so I'm the last person to know about whether or not that would naturally happen. Uh, I won't provide an answer because it <laughs> won't be right. But what I can tell you is I, I spoke to a, Scots, a, a, a person from Scotland the other day uh, who was telling me that the thistles in their country are tiny compared to what we grow in Australia because obviously the conditions are fantastic for the weed to grow here and uh, it, it means you get a lot larger thistles, which well, is I just know. a fun fact. And I, Well, that fun fact, they may, get, they may travel further and get larger too given the weather pattern that we're about to come into. We're going to speak to some of those small groups that are doing incredible work. Maybe that's you as well. Well, let's speak to one of the groups we were talking about earlier, Rochelle. There's so many little groups mm. that are doing amazing work. Lee Mead is the president president of the Tarangawa Cactus Control Group of Molden, a.k.a. the Cactus Warriors. <laughs> Lee, welcome to the Conversation Hour. Thank you. Good morning. You must feel like a warrior. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen uh, what these cactus can do in farmlands, the size that they grow, uh, and I guess just how can they can decimate land, can you just tell us a little bit about why they're so problematic? They're problematic because they uh, are so hard to control um, and, and they have such an impact on the environment, Just not just the farming properties, but they displace all our native flora and fauna and they're, they're just so uh, difficult to control. This um, species, uh, by biological name, is uh, a Puntia robusta and which which says it all. They are just so robust. They are so difficult to destroy. Is this like a wheel a cactus? Do you have to stab it? Everyone with with pesticide. Yeah, if you that's want to the kill thing. It? It's like bit yeah. by bit, isn't it? Yeah. So we've spent years trying to work out the most effective um, t- treatment, and um, basically, you know, we we basically we have to use um, chemicals. And um, it needs so much chemical that uh, we have to inject the plant with chemicals to actually um, destroy it. And it is so laborious and so time-consuming and so expensive. It's, it's really hard work. And for those playing at home, wheel cactus, it looks like a wheel uh, of cactus, as you it can imagine. It looks like something of a Looney Tunes cartoon. And it just stacks on top of each <laughs> yeah. other and it sort of grows in all directions. And yeah. like, how quickly can it take over a field or a hill? Um. Well, five years. Yeah, there are lots of examples around here in Malden where um, you'll see just a couple of plants one year in in a paddock and if it's ignored, um, five years later there'll be a a really um, serious infestation. Ten years, um, it's just completely taken over. Lee, how did they come to be in places like Malden? Well, we believe, like Andy was saying before, that um, you know these, these sorts of plants are introduced into Australia as garden orna- ornamental garden plants. They're they're drought resistant. They're hardy plants, and and we believe that that's what's happened here. That sort of earlier in the 1900s, that somebody has brought the plants. Um, to, and planted in their garden, and um, it's just gradually spread. In, in the 1960s, it was starting to become a problem um, around here, and then and by, by the turn of the century, it's just in, um, blown out to be a, a, massive, a massive problem. But, yeah, we, we assume it's, it was a, an ornamental garden plant, and, um, and the birds are the main problem. They eat the beautiful juicy fruit and which is full of seeds and um, fly away and you know can spread it um, all around the district. Far and wide. Lee, multiple people today have said that the reliance for whether it be councils or government, uh, they rely on working groups like yours to deal with these problems. Do you feel like you're taken advantage of? Do you feel like you're not getting the Uh, assistance that you need? 
Yeah, we're not getting, well, we feel, we're not, we don't feel like we're being taken advantage of, but we do feel like we're working alone. Um, the, our group has, has um, existed formally for the last 15 years, but there are local farmers and land carers here that have been working with trying to get rid of this weed for 20 years. And there, there are so many people that have worked so hard on this problem and it's not going away. We've, we've, pro we've approached the state government several times over the last 10 years to help us and every time the answer is they do not have the resources. Is it, is, uh, we'll, is we'll, it that exhausting, Lee? It is exhausting. It is exhausting, but we can't give up because it's such a horrible, horrible weed. It's, it's yeah. difficult to stop, even though we feel like we desperately need help. Um, but, yeah, um, will cactus is not... A list of, you know, not, not considered a, a priority weed, even though it's a noxious weed and a weed of national significance. Um, it's not a priority weed, and so um, the government, the state government, just keep telling us that they they don't have the resources to do anything. Just finally, Lee, I mean, these are huge. You know, you were talking about the size of them before. Once you stab them, yeah. and you know that kills them off. You've still got a really large plant no doubt to deal with or weed to deal with i mean do you have to yeah. then physically remove them or do they shrivel down like what what did what well, some, some of the really big plants take um a couple of years to deal with you can't you can't yeah. physically inject all of it at the same in the same go so it might take a year or, or so to actually um get rid of a, a big plant and there are millions of them but um but at the same time um they, 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 there's the seed bank now. The seed bank around here is just enormous. So this problem is not going to go away for decades. It's there's there's just so much seed in the soil, and um, like um, Lizette or someone said before, Caller said before, they they the seeds are in the soil and they last for decades. Well, thank you very much for telling us about it. Although I feel like I'm at the bottom of Everest looking up at a mountain of weed control that you're facing for the rest of your life. But Lee Mead, thanks for joining us. Okay, no problem. Thanks for discussing it. Thank you. That's the president of the Tarangawa Cactus Control Group of Malden, aka the Cactus Warriors. I went out at Wichitella, which is another place of Victoria North, with the Cactus Queens 15 years ago as well. So there are some cool names they of are weed control absolutely. groups. Absolutely. This text, I'm in queue on weeding today. Perfect conditions. Each year, new weeds arrive in my garden on the streets and in our parks. I wish everyone walking past would pull up just one weed. There we go. There's a, there's a plan. Tamara's in Trentham. Hi. Tomorrow. Yes, good afternoon. Oh, good morning, sorry. Um, my issue is forget-me-nots. And what's okay, your they, issue with them? Well, a, my, uh, well, the definition of a weed is any plant that, that you can't control and is in the wrong spot. Right? Now, what, the forget-me-nots are um, spread by a seed. Right? They fly everywhere and you cannot control them. You pull them out and within a week or two they're coming up again. They are a nuisance, right? They're an introduced species into Australian fauna. Okay, you bag them up and put them into bags to get rid of them, you take it to the, the waste disposal, you've got to pay to get rid of them. Yeah, gosh, it's laborious, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm actually paying for someone to do exactly what I've just said. Wow. Right? Because of the invasion that, that forget-me-nots have. And this is the thing, isn't it? Tamara, thank you. It's costing people a lot of money was, whether it be just someone locally like Tamara and Trentham or whether it be people that are actually working on the land. It's costing people anywhere from hundreds to thousands and thousands of dollars. And not only that, you're spending your time and effort reducing mm. the weeds and not doing what you should be doing. That's the bit that's not really counted a lot too. It's the effort. Weeds are hard work to try and control. Whether you're using chemicals, whether you're trying to pull them out of your garden, whether you're using other means like flamethrowers and vinegar even like you, Rish. Mate, the vinegar it, works a treat. But you know what? If you have, <laughs> I'm just talking about a small little garden path. So if you had a big issue, you're going to need a lot of vinegar. And you know what? Fun fact on the side, it really makes you feel like fish and chips when you're doing it oh. because all you can smell is the vinegar. And all of a sudden it's like, why am I craving hot chips? 
just so badly. <laughs> well, you've been putting in the work then, so you've, you've earned the fish and it's chips, haven't you? It just makes you feel like <laughs> chips. Ivan Carter is with you now. He's a community engagement officer for the Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party, another community group that's working a not-for-profit, Ivan. Tell us a little bit about what the Serrated Tussock is and why it's such a problem. Yeah, good morning, Michelle and Warwick. Um, yeah, Serrated Tussock uh, is a weed that's been around since the 50s uh, in Victoria. It's uh, from South America, interestingly. And um, look, the main issue with it is it's not really part of, um, yeah, it's not edible or uh, useful in uh, agriculture. So you get issues where livestock end up with a paddock with serrated tussock in it. And unfortunately, so much fibre, so little protein that you just end up with a very dense cover of serrated tussock. But uh, as you said earlier, Rochelle, it does look a lot like some of the native tussocks. So that's yes. the problem that we're having. And, uh, you know, some of the work that I do is just trying to get people up to speed with what it is and uh, how to treat it. And anyone driving on the Hume Highway today or some of the other major highways around Victoria, you'll see signs beside the highway saying serrated tussock and it's a little picture of what it looks like and says it's a control area and there's a lot of work going on. Ivan, in theory then, you're you're looking after a weed that, does get funding and does get a lot of control work for it. Does that make it easier? Yeah, spot on work. And yeah, that is the difference between our group and um, yeah, your previous uh, guest, uh, Lee, who I've spoken with a few times and worked with, is yeah, the, the Serrated Tussock Working Party was set up in the mid-90s uh, through a bit of um, desperation, I guess, where we are just seeing it spread through the landscape so quickly. And the Victorian government um, yeah, did listen and they did uh, fund... Our group is a community organisation, uh, along with the Gauze Task Force and the Blackberry Task Force and the Rabbit uh, group as well. So those four groups do get funding and it does make it easier. It does allow us to go out to a lot of uh, regional events and field days and produce uh, videos, um, Yeah, run, run uh, field days where we can do demonstrations of how people can treat things and uh, a control methods. So, yeah, look, certainly uh, we do need to think... Uh, the Victorian government on this one, where that. They but have does all of that work mean you're getting on top of it, Ivan? Does does it mean you're winning the battle? Oh well, yes, in some ways, uh, I think so. So the data we have is that it has spread uh, since the 90s, uh, unfortunately, in its distribution. So if you look at the area it now covers, it is more. So in that way, we're not winning, but the density is much lower. So that's what we found is we've been able to to half and half again the density of uh, the infestations where they're quite manageable now in many cases, but uh, it has spread out to Hamilton and out to Gippsland during that time, pretty much along the arterial roads, just like you said, Warwick. It spread up the uh, freeways and the uh, roads with um, slashing and movement of vehicles, but we have been able to uh, get people to um, yeah improve their identification uh, and their control methods. So, yeah, we are on top of uh, the density and it is getting better in that manner. That's really good to know. Just while we have you, let's have a chat to Steve in Benalla. Hi, yeah. Steve. What was your point? Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Steve. What was, what was your question? Oh, look, I'm... I'm I'm weed weary too. I um I'm like others have been tackling weeds for a long time, but I really would like to caution against the use and repeated applications of herbicide. It is not the answer. Um, you've got to have an integrated approach with weeds. It's got to be physical, chemical, and biological. Um, with with all of them. Now, having said that. We have provided the niche for these weeds to come in. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to control this weed, bomb it with whatever method you're going to bomb it with, and then um, leave the ground and expect that uh, everything's going to be honky-dory. What are you going to put in its place? So, um, Steve, you said you've worked with weeds for a long time and are weed-weary, which I love that, yeah. that slogan. What, what yeah. do you do? How, what sort of work do you do? Uh, I've been uh, with Landcare myself for quite a while. Um, I was employed as a, uh, a bushland field officer for, for, a, for a bit. 
um, working with a broad spectrum of weeds from radiata pine right through to Chilean needlegrass and uh, serrated tussock. Mm. So, so you think um, we need an integrated not- approach? Is that something that's being done? We might put this back to Ivan and the work that you do, like Steve said, and he's got a long list of credentials of where he's worked there. Does it need to be more than just one solution? So using chemicals, can we have an integrated approach, Physical, physically trying to remove them, looking at different ways, uh, d- depending on the weed and the location? Yeah, that, that was a great point by Steve, and that is pretty much hit the nail on the head there, is the one method is not going to work over and over, uh, and a weed usually invades in an area where there is the opportunity to do so. So you'll see during drier periods when... Uh, Pakes are grazed out very hard, um, or there might be areas that have been disturbed. The first things that you'll get in are those plants that colonise areas, and that's exactly why you do need to work on improving your pasture and your grazing regime so that you don't have those bare patches going into summer, which is when all the weeds spread around in the wind uh, as well. So, yes, spot on. Uh, We have cases where there's serrated tussock that is resistant to uh, certain herbicides, so that's through the overuse, and that's exactly what Steve was talking about. You can't just go in and continually do the same thing, so you do need to do things like cultivation, um, manual removal, uh, spot spraying with different herbicides at different times as well as just increasing competition i think it's quite lots about competition it's the same with uh, forget-me-nots that your previous caller was talking about in trentham is um yeah they're the first things to go into what do they look like again you were googling them was before Couldn't, if you had to describe or if you had to describe ivan what forget-me-nots look like we'd know them wouldn't yeah. we we certainly would and Believe it or not, this is uncanny. I was just walking through my garden uh, and there's lots of forget-me-nots and the seeds are all over my uh, pants. So, yeah, they're a little blue daisy uh, with lots of little uh, sticky seeds. Yep. Um, and they look spectacular. Like in mass, they look like a field of or a meadow of blue uh, flowering daisies. Uh, and I was noting that there was a lot of uh, native bees all, all over them. So... Yeah, there's advantages to some of these things, but they do tend to take over. And I think you just need everything in moderation and a bit of balance in your garden, particularly. Can confirm from the Googling, Rochelle, they are quite beautiful and little thing, uh, little flowers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you'll know them when they see you. But that's like most weeds, for example, right? You you probably don't know it's a weed or you probably do sometimes. I know anybody mowing the lawn would see a variety of different species in there and you'd see plants that don't belong and you probably know they're a weed but you probably don't do anything about it. But then how do you know what to balance Ivan before we let you go I mean you said then that some of them they are you know that the forget-me-nots attract native bees and we know how vital bees are and native bees Mm. are you know to Mm. to all of our habitat to our ecosystem so how do you know how many to keep not to keep you know if you remove them all then what happens to the bees I mean this is a delicate balancing act. Oh, look, it absolutely is, and I'm sure yeah, you could dedicate quite a lot of time to the management of, of invasive species, but I guess, yeah, looking at the legislation, there are some plants that are, are listed as an, a noxious weed under the Catchment Land Protection Act. So it's those sort of plants that you probably don't want to have the balance of because they've already been assessed to be extremely invasive. Uh, and if you even have a few, such as a serrated tussock, where you've got tens of thousands of seeds, you can very quickly have hundreds and then thousands. So, you know, I think if it's a declared weed, then you really don't want to have a balance at all. But some of those sort of uh, garden plants, uh, for example, in my garden, I leave a little patch uh, for the bees and I just um, yeah, pull out the ones That's around it and whip a snip and mow. So, yeah, I think you just do to assess the risk of, you know, just how likely are they. It's your bee garden, even though it's weeds. You can call it your, 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 this, the, the garden for your bees. Ivan, That's thank right. you. It's been fascinating. That's Ivan Carter, Community Engagement Officer for the Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party. Was There's a text here from Corinna that says, the weed you walk past is the weed you accept. And my motto for any visitors to my garden and my excuse for having missed a few. That should be on a T-shirt. The weed you walk past is the weed you accept. Can someone make that happen? That's fantastic. James Blandford is the secretary of the Merlu, I hope I've pronounced that right, Tussocks Cricket Club. Now, in terms of having a mascot and having a logo for your cricket club, James, yours is the Tussock. It's a weed that's your logo, mate. How did that come about? Yeah, g'day, Warwick. G'day, Rochelle. Um, yeah, about in the 1980s, Grand final. Uh, before that, they used to call everyone south of the highway the uh, 
uh, tussock jumpers, and then they decided to uh, use that as a bit of a good slogan. So they came up with the "No One Jumps a Tussock Jumper," and then from then on, it's been our logo ever since. Now, James, we've been talking about this in your club. We think you need to get a mascot suit yes. made up. <laughs> <laughs> a, a giant tussock. We need a giant tussock to represent this club. Oh, that would be very funny seeing that run around the oval before a game. Well, the hair would goes. work straight away, yeah? So wild kind of tussock-esque hair. But Was and I were trying to figure out the legs. We thought maybe the roots, but then you need eyes somewhere. And then, of course, any good mascot <laughs> needs some kind of dance routine as well. Yeah, I'd like to see Murray Frew do that. That'd be a good thing, I reckon, the local bloke <laughs> in the club. There's so, not much... In that mascot suit. So you're proud of, of wearing the Tussock name on, on the shirt? I think we're one of the only clubs that's got a theme song with the Tussocks uh, with, like, for our career club and a proper, like, very original logo. It's, it's different. It's the, we're the Tussocks. We wear it pride. You know, the home of the MCG, home of the Tussocks, Merlu. And, uh, but I was just thinking about it today. I reckon if we started a new cricket side up in today's um, era, we'd be probably called the Lovegrass. But... Uh, <laughs> and another bad word now in the area than the serrated tussock. Wow, that's fascinating, isn't it? Incredible to think. I mean, in terms of what's out there at Merlu as well, it's pretty much just the tussocks and your cricket ground as well, James. James, I love it. Thanks so much. How'd you go? How are you going this season, anyhow? Uh, we only had two games so far, and we've had two losses in A grade, but the juniors are going all right. We've, uh, we, we do big dinners on a Thursday night for the community. They all come up, and we've had 55 for dinner last week, which was just awesome because we all opened up again from the, the COVID rules a bit. So, yeah, we've, um, it's, it's going really good. Oh, there's nothing better than going to a local club for dinner as well. What's the best thing to order there? Oh, we, we do home-cooked meals every Thursday night, $6 a meal for as uh, much as you can eat. Um, we have right. a roster. Everyone in the club has a go at uh, cooking something different. I think we might be doing chicken pies tomorrow night. Oh, yes. You had me a pie. Love it. James, thank you so much. That's James Blandford. He's the secretary of the Merlu Tussocks Cricket Club. Only two games in, two losses for the seniors, but the juniors are going all right. But it's a long season ahead of them yet. And with a, uh, a mascot or a logo like a tussock, you know, they, they're they going to get out there. They're, they're putting their seeds out as we speak, Warwick. As someone says on the text line too, not all tussock grass is a weed, but serrated tussock certainly is. And as you've heard, a, a massive one of significance for our state at the moment. Gets a lot of funding, but that doesn't necessarily mean you win all the battles. Warwick Long, it's been wonderful. I really needed you by my side today to just work through this. I had no idea that there were so many weeds, so many different species and the havoc that they can cause, but also on top of that, just the work that community groups do. I mean, if there's going to be a glass half full out of that, it's that people are giving up their time and their energy to try and get on top of this and that's benefiting all of us. That's it for the Conversation Hour today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can always subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. You can go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts and that way you'll never miss an episode and you can share it with your friends and family. And if you have an idea or someone or something you want us to talk about, you can email us, conversationhour at abc.net.au. We always read those emails. Take care and speak to you soon.